We'll find Ephesians chapter 6. Last time I get to say that. After 50 weeks in Ephesians, the last time turning there as we work through this journey. Find the very last two verses of Ephesians chapter 6. As you turn, think about how important final words are. There's a speech designed to persuade that final punch the person makes at the end of the speech to get your attention. Think about the final words if you've had a loved one pass and how you treasure those last things they said. Perhaps it was a friend moving away and the final words of your friend when they moved to a new place. Final words are packed full of meaning. And we come today to Paul's final words to the people in Ephesus and his final words to us, the readers of his letter to the Ephesians. Some people call this his benediction, his closing prayer. But that sounds so formulaic. It sounds so formal. This is not just a formal prayer. This is the heart longings of Paul, his final greetings for the people in Ephesus and for us that he does turn into a prayer. This is a prayer from his heart that expresses his deepest longings for these dear brothers and sisters there in Ephesus. So as we read these last two verses of Ephesians this morning, I want you to look for what is Paul's great desire for them. He's written these six chapters to them of so much content, so much meat about who they are in Christ and how they're to live because of it. What can he say to summarize, to bring together this final wish that he wants to leave them with this pack full of meaning? Look for what his great desire is for the people that he prays for them. As we look for that, as we read, let's not stop at it being a nice history lesson of what Paul prayed for them. Because this is an important lesson for us. This reflects for us what our heart should be towards one another. Do you think about one another in this room and other believers? You know, how should we feel to one another? And Paul's example, this final thing he shares to the people in Ephesus, is what we should feel towards one another. So what should our desire be for other believers? Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 23 and 24. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Peace be to the brothers, in love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love and corruptible. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm so thankful for our journey through Ephesians. Father, the, the riches of your word, Lord, we could never get to the end of. There's so much truth in your word for us, so much to help us see who you are and what it means to know you. And Father, I pray today as we come to these last two verses of Ephesians, God, that the truth of how we should view one another, as we see an example of Paul, would just come alive for us, God, that you would stretch us and grow us to better understand who you are and what you've done for us and how we're to relate to one another as brother and sister in Christ. So God, I pray you build up your church this morning through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the one thing I want you to see from this text today, what should our desire be? What should our attitude be towards one another? What should our prayers be for one another? Simply this, our desire and our prayer for one another should be to know more and more of God's grace. Our desire, what, when we look around the room at one another, what our hearts should long for in the people you see is to know more of God's grace. What we should be praying for, for those sitting around us or other believers we know, is to know more and more of God's grace. If there's just one word that will summarize the whole book of Ephesians, it's the word grace. Paul begins the book in the first few verses with the phrase, grace to you. And now he ends the book with the phrase, grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ. He bookends the whole book with grace and with grace. But for Paul, grace is not just some nice theological concept to talk about with his friends. This is a reality. Paul needs grace. He understands he needs grace. And he knows that we all need grace. And as Paul thinks about grace as he begins and ends the book on the concept of grace, this isn't self-focused for him. 
It's easy for us today when we think about grace to focus on what we get out of it and what God has done for me, and it becomes about me and Jesus. But for Paul, grace was not just about him and Jesus. It was about grace going out to other people. It's what he longs for for others. It's what he prays for others. Friends, our desire and prayer for one another should be to know more and more of God's grace. Don't you see, first of all, this it is outward focus when he thinks about grace. He's concerned about other believers. Look back at verse 23, and notice this first phrase, Peace be to the brothers. Peace be to the brothers. Brothers is a general word. It's not just men, so ladies, you're included in this. At the time, brothers was the broad word that included men and women both. It was a word that was used by the earliest disciples to express their affection for one another, to express their love for one another. But why the family imagery? He could just as easily have said, peace be to the friends. Why does he pick the word brothers? Well, think about what he's been building for us in the book of Ephesians here. The whole family members, that we are part of God's family. We're not just friends who choose to associate. But we're a family that God has brought together. In fact, go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, when Paul begins to introduce this concept for us, that we're the family of God with a bond together. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he, God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for, and what's the next word? He predestined us for what? Adoption. He predestined us for adoption. This is incredible. To himself as what? What's the next word? As sons. God has predestined us for adoption as sons. We're brought into the family of God. And he goes on with that. According to the purpose of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It's an incredible thought that we need to have all a wonder of. That the sovereign creator has chosen to adopt us and make us his sons, his daughters. So when we look at one another, we are now bound together in the same family as brothers and sisters in Christ. And therefore, just as you have concern for your spouse, concern for your kids, concern for your siblings, we're to have that type of concern for one another. That's not the only place Paul mentions it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. In Ephesians 2, 19, you see him bringing the same idea to us. He says, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And here's his next image. And members of the household of God. So he's describing us in terms of being a family. But notice the mark of who comes into this family. He gets so easily confused today. He doesn't say peace to the brothers. And in verse 24, he doesn't say grace be with those who walk the aisle, been baptized, and joined the church. The mark, the characteristic of those who are in this family together. Look at verse 24 and look at what it is. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds us in the family of God, if we truly are followers of Christ, there is a love in our hearts for God. Even as we think about communion this morning that we'll celebrate into the service, it's an important reminder for us. Friends, if there's no love, no affection for God in our hearts, we're deceiving ourselves if we think we're followers of God and part of his family. When we experience the love of God, it leads us to return to him love as well for what he has done. Paul says, grace be with all who love our Lord. He is thinking of grace going out to others, not just for himself, but going out to others. So what is specifically Paul praying for them when he's praying for this? Look back at verse 24 again. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love and corrupt. So he's praying for grace. Now we use that word a lot. We sing about grace. We pray for grace in people's lives. We talk about grace. What do we mean when we talk about God giving grace to people? Well, grace simply is kindness given to people who are undeserving. Grace is kindness given 
to people who are undeserving. So if you're in Walmart later day and someone comes up to you and hands you $200 and says, I don't know you, but I want to give you money, God bless you. Now that would be grace, and I don't think any of us would turn that down. That's, that, it wasn't deserved, we didn't earn it, it's not merited, it was just given to us. But what Paul's talking about here is grace from God. His kindness, his blessings that we do not deserve. And we think about grace and even praying for grace as a very sobering reminder of how undeserving we all are. And Paul's already made that abundantly clear for us, that we deserve nothing from God except for health, nothing from God except for wrath and judgment, because we've all sinned against him, we've all offended him, and so anything good he gives us is nothing that we have deserved. Look back at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. It gives us a foundation for grace, showing us how unworthy we are. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We don't deserve grace. We've sinned. We need forgiveness. We need redemption. We need to be purchased back because we deserve nothing but punishment from God. Unless we miss the imagery in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, Paul makes it even clearer. Even when we're dead in our trespasses, another word for our sins, we were dead in our sins. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In saving us and rescuing us, God is magnifying his grace to us who did not deserve it. Unless we think we deserve it, Paul gets really clear in the next two verses, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. God gives grace to those who are undeserving. To those of us lost in our sins, far from God, who are dead spiritually, he now gives grace. Well, this raises an interesting question for us. If that's what grace is, then why is Paul writing to people who've already received grace and praying grace for them? Because if you go back to our verse today, back to what we've been looking at, he's praying grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, wait, if they love the Lord Jesus, they've already experienced grace to be brought from death to life. So what, in fact, is he praying for, he's praying that they would know more and more grace. He's writing to people who've received grace, who've been brought from death to life, and he's now praying that they experience that even more richly, more fully. Because grace is not something we need one time so we get a get-out-of-hell-free card. Grace is God's kindness to us that we need day by day by day and moment by moment by moment. Think of what Paul had already prayed early in the letter. It's basically the same idea. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. Look at how he prays for him. He's basically praying for more grace, though he uses different language. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And what's he praying for them? Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now stop there. These are people who already know Christ. He's, remember, he's writing to believers, to the saints who are in Ephesus. They already know who God is, but he's praying here in verse 17 that they would have more wisdom, more revelation, more knowledge of God, that they would have more grace. And then verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Well, they've already had their hearts enlightened. God is the only one who can take us from death to life. They've already seen who God is, and they've already believed. They've already had their eyes enlightened to who God is. They have grace but he's praying for more grace. They would understand more fully who God is. They understand more of the hope that they already have in Christ. He goes on, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are people who have already experienced grace. And he wants them to have more grace. 
more knowledge of God, more intimacy with God, more experience of God's power working, more understanding of who God is. He's basically doing what Paul or what John did in John chapter 1, verse 16. This is my favorite verse, I think, in all the time we worked through John's gospel, which was about 50 weeks as well last year. And from his fullness, we've received grace upon grace. If you think back to two years ago when we started the gospel of John, that phrase that just rested in my attention, grace upon grace. John was longing for the people to have grace upon grace upon grace. The people who know Christ to go deeper in God's blessings in their life, deeper in understanding who God is. And that is what Paul is praying as well, that he wants us to have more and more grace. And there's that models for us, that our desire for one another. When you see one another, when you think about believers, you know, our heart's longing should be more than anything else that we would come to a fuller understanding of God's grace, that we would experience grace upon grace upon grace. So go back to Ephesians chapter 6. As we talk about experiencing grace, that can be a very vague concept for us. What practically does it look like if we experience more grace? I love it. Paul shows us in verse 23, because if we experience God's grace, if we know God more and we have his kindness in our life, it will change us. Friends, we cannot experience God's grace and remain the same. If we encounter God's grace, it will transform us. And Paul uses three words here to show us what he's longing to happen as they experience God's grace. Look at verse 23. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When God gives grace, he gives this as well. This is what grace looks like in our lives. Notice it's from God the Father. This is not things we manufacture. When we look at peace and love and faith, friends, you've heard me say over and over, this is not white-knuckle determination. I can't get up tomorrow and be like, I'm going to have more peace in my life today and just try harder. I'm going to love people better today. I'm going to love God more today. I'm going to have more faith. We, We can't will this into existence. Peace, love, faith come from God to us. They're his grace gifts to us. So look at these three changes in our life when we experience grace upon grace upon grace. First, back in verse 23, peace be to the brothers. What is he talking about? When we experience God's grace, what type of peace comes in our life? He's talking about two types of peace here, a vertical type of peace and a horizontal. A vertical peace, we're having peace with God. This is incredible, friends. We were enemies of God. We had offended God. We sinned against him. We deserve nothing but wrath and judgment from God, and he gives us peace with him. Look at how it was described back in Ephesians chapter 2 when Paul's already told us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in place of two, so making peace And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. Christ came to preach peace, peace with God, that we who were alienated from God and and offended God can now have peace with our creator, peace with the one who made us. It's a phrase that we sing in a song that we'll close the service with today. Once your enemy... Now seated at your table. That's the image for us here of peace. That we who had no right to be in God's presence, who deserve nothing but punishment, now are not just forgiven, but we're brought into a relationship, a peaceful relationship with God where we can sit at his table with him. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, Paul describes the gospel, the good news, as the gospel of peace. Because we have peace with God. 
And so when you're praying for yourself and for one another to have God's grace and to have grace upon grace, you're praying for them to have more peace with God. Not need, They already have peace with God, but to go deeper in their relationship with God, to go deeper in sitting at His table, to go deeper in experiencing God's presence. Grace upon grace, when it shows up in our life, means that we get closer to the Lord. That's the only type of peace that Paul's talking about here. He's talking about peace with other believers as well. When God makes us a family that we care about and we pray for, He gives us a greater bond with one another. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15. For he himself is our peace, has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and expressing ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. In the midst of these verses we just read a minute ago about peace with God, he interjects peace with one another. Here he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. There was such hatred between these two ethnic groups. You think about any of the racial hostility today, it pales in comparison to the hatred there was between Jew and Gentile. And he brings these two groups together and says, in Christ you now have peace with God. And because you have peace with God, you're equal together in the family of God. You have peace with one another. I love how Paul describes it later in chapter 4, verse 3. He tells us we're to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And if you think back to when we looked at chapter 4, it doesn't say be eager to create unity. God's the one who creates the unity. We can't manufacture, but God brings people of different backgrounds together, and he builds a bond between them. Our job is not to break it. Our job is not to break the unity that God gives, that God creates in the body of Christ. And so, friends, as we pray for one another to have grace upon grace upon grace, we are praying for one another not just to have peace with God and a deeper relation with him. We're praying for one another to go deeper in peace with one another, that God will break down hostility between believers, that God will break down divisions within the church, that God will break down any type of conflict that we might be one together. We're praying for grace. We're praying for peace with one another. Paul prays for grace upon grace for people so they would have more peace with God and more peace with one another. And that's not the only word he uses to describe how we're changed by grace. Look at back in Ephesians chapter 6, verse, tw- verse 23. Peace be to the brothers and love. He highlights love again. And no surprise, you've heard me say it a lot because he's talked about love 14 times in the book of Ephesians. So if you feel like, I think we've talked about that before we have. We talked about love 14 times in this book here. And he's highlighting that for us. What's he talking about here? Like peace, he's talking about a vertical relationship and a horizontal. The love that God has for us and the love that we have for one another. So when he says here in verse 23, peace be to you, he's wanting you to experience God's presence, God's peace. Now he's saying love with faith. When he says love here, it's this agape love, covenant love, God's love for us, God's pure love for us. That's what he's already talked about in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Because let that sink in. The creator who spoke the world into being at the sound of his voice. The one who is all-powerful, who knows everything, looks upon you, his child, and loves you with a great love. When Paul is praying here for people to have grace that leads to love, he's praying that we would understand in deeper ways God's great love for us. That we would be transformed as we experience the love of God in our lives. But like peace, he's not just focusing on Jesus and me. He's focusing on how this changes our relationships in the body. He grows our love for one another. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, he's already commended the people in Ephesus for this. Remember what he said? For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love towards all the saints. 
He's already commended them because, wow, you're a people who already are loving each other. But he knows they can grow in that. Though they're doing a good job loving each other, they can grow in that. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, when he begins the practical admonitions to them, notice what he started with. Ephesians 4, 1. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, and what? And love. He's already commended them for their love, but he's saying, you need to do it more now. Because he's praised for grace in their life. He's praying for them to know God's love for them in such a way that it'll transform how they love one another. He's praying for God's grace so that they feel God's love and they show God's love to one another. But go back to verse 23 in Ephesians 6. There's one more word he uses to summarize this whole book and show how grace changes. He's got peace to the brothers and love with faith. Faith. What do we mean by faith? Yes, faith is belief, is knowledge. But faith is also trust, confidence in God, confidence in God's promises, confidence in God's character, confidence in what God has done and is doing and will do. It's confidence in God. And yes, when we think of faith, it's what enters us into a relationship with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. Faith is what enters us in. But friends, in our culture, we treat faith so often like the point of time decision, I have faith in Christ, period, I'm in. That's not what he's talking about here. Yes, faith is what enters us into the kingdom of God here as we believe in his promises. But faith is ongoing. Faith is to be day by day, moment by moment of what God gives to sustain us. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. He's praying for them so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. So he's not now talking about the point of time decision in the past. He's talking about Christ dwelling in your heart day by day. Your experience with Christ comes through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. So Paul is praying to people who already have faith in Christ. He's praying their faith might grow. They might have grace upon grace that their faith might grow day by day to keep them close to Christ, to keep them reminded of who God is, and to keep them from falling to the enemy. Remember just a few weeks ago, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16? We're told to hold up the shield of faith that extinguishes all the flaming darts of the enemy, that we need faith day by day because we need to walk with the Lord day by day. So Paul is praying to to God about people who already have faith that their faith might grow, their faith might increase. So how do we bring all this together? What is Paul's longing, what is Paul longing for God to do in their life? He's wanting for people to have peace with God to experience more and more of that relationship. He's wanting people to have peace with God to, to reflect that now one another in the body of Christ with peaceful relationships. Paul's longing for people who've experienced God's love to experience it more and more every day. And to then reflect God's love to those around them. He's, he's praying to God about those who have faith in God already to grow in their faith with God. And day by day, more and more exercise faith. And he pulls all that together, this longing for more peace and more love and more faith in one another's lives. He pulls all together in praying for grace in each other's lives. God's kindness to produce these things in us. So friends, what about us? What are we supposed to be longing for each other? Verses 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So I want you to, to stretch your neck and look around the room now for a second. Look around the room, get, get faces, get lots of faces in your eyes, okay? See all those faces? 
You know a lot of them. You may not know all of them. What Paul is modeling for us is for all those people you just saw, your heart desire for them should be that they have more and more of God's grace. As people who have already received God's grace, that those faces you saw would be people who now go deeper in God's grace. And because of they have more of a deeper relationship with God, they have more peace with one another, they have more experience of God's love, they have more love for one another, they have more faith, they have their faith strengthened. We're praying for one another that we would have more of God's grace in our lives. So what should our desire be for each other? To know more and more of God's grace. So it reflects in peace and love and faith. And that leads into what should we day by day practically be praying for one another for more grace. More important than praying for that job promotion. More important than praying for the person with their sickness. More important than praying about whatever their desire is with their family. The most important thing we can pray for one another in the body of Christ is to have more of God's grace. So we know more of his peace, more of his love, and express more of peace and more love in relationships with one another. Our desire and our prayer for one another should be to know more and more of God's grace. As we think about that, what a fitting way to together as the body of Christ, as people who are recipients of God's grace, to celebrate that grace was free to us, the cost that came with it. So as we come to communion, or sometimes what we call the Lord's Supper, it's a time of reflection for us. I'm going to give you two things to reflect on, two questions to think about as we prepare for this. The first one is simply this. Have you experienced God's grace? Communion is for those who are followers of Christ. If you've experienced the grace of God that has forgiven you of your sins and made you his child and brought you into his kingdom, given you a seat at his table, given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, this is for you. Remember, grace is not a one-time thing. This is not, I prayed the prayer, I got baptized, I'm in the church, I'm okay. This is, are you experiencing day by day the relationship with God? Because saving faith in Christ is not, I don't want to go to hell. Saving faith in Christ is, I want to love God. And I've fallen in love with Him. Though we don't do it perfectly, there's a longing in our hearts to love our Creator. Are you experiencing God's grace? And are you experiencing it day by day as grace upon grace? If so, friends, we're going to get to celebrate that together. If that's not you, if you've never experienced God's grace, and if you don't see God's grace upon grace transforming you, I just want to encourage you, while we observe this, just stay in your seat. No one's going to look at you funny. You're not going to be shamed in any way. But use this time to to pray and say, God, if you're real, I need to know you. Show yourself to me. Or perhaps you've been doing the church thing, but you never really trusted Christ and say, Lord, I'm doing all these externals, but I, I don't sense that I'm in a relationship with you. I don't know you personally. Would you reveal yourself to me? And use this time to pray and cry out to him. This is a celebration the scripture has a lot of warnings about because it's just for the lives of believers. But for followers of Christ, as we come to this time of communion, I want to ask you, are you longing for more of God's grace in your own life? This is a reminder of the grace we have, the faith we have, the peace we have with God, the love of God in our lives. But are you longing for more of it? Or we've become complacent and content with where we are. As you receive the elements, I encourage you, don't rush, but take time to sit and reflect and thank God for His grace. To ask Him for more grace. That's not a selfish prayer to pray, to say, God, I need more and more of Your grace in my life. Remember, we take communion corporately because this is for the body of Christ together. It's a great thing also to ask as you're, as you're reflecting this, Lord, who should I be praying for for more grace? Because perhaps it's been a long time since you paused and prayed for more grace for someone else. So let me encourage you to do three things before you observe communion this morning. First of all, if you're a believer, thank God for his grace. As you hold the juice and 
Look at the bread and be reminded of the body and blood of Christ that was broken and poured out for you. To thank him for that and just worship him with thankfulness for what he's done. But then before we take it, number two, ask him for more grace. He's the one who gives it. We can't manufacture faith and hope and love and all these things, but he can give it. So ask him, Lord, would you increase my desire for grace? Would you give me more grace? Then number three, because like Paul here, grace wasn't focused on just him and Jesus. He wanted to flow out to others. Would you, before you take communion this morning, take a minute, and whether it's someone else in this room or someone else you know who's a follower of Christ, would you pause and pray for them and pray that God would give them more grace? What would happen if everyone in this room this morning has someone else in this room praying for them specifically that, that God would pour out more grace in their life this week and they would produce faith and hope and love in their lives? Think of what would happen if God will answer these prayers, and he will, of all of us praying for one another for more grace. So again, as you receive the elements of one, thank God, worship him. Number two, ask for more grace in your life. And number three, think about someone else in the room and pray by name that God would give them more and more grace. As we come to communion, we're reminded that the body of Christ was broken. The bread represents his body, that he had his body broken. He hung on a cross so that we could have our sins forgiven. And the juice reminds us that his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Scripture is very clear, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So I invite you in just a moment, as, as the music begins to play, we're going to invite our praise team to come after I pray to receive the elements. And in your seats, if you'll just begin to pray and reflect on these things, when it's time, the deacons will direct you. You'll come to the front and receive the elements as you reflect and worship the Lord for all he's done. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your grace upon grace upon grace that forgives us, that Lord, gives us new life in Christ that gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you that your grace, though, is not just a one-time event. God, we didn't just get grace one time and we're done. But God, you give grace upon grace day by day. So, Lord, in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, as we celebrate communion with hearts of thankfulness today, God, would you give us a longing to have more grace in our lives, a longing to know more and more of you, Lord. God, would you use this celebration, even if hearts of thankfulness, that you would break us of complacency, of being content where we are, that we would want to experience you more. But God, would you also, as we celebrate this morning with thankfulness, would you free us from selfishness to only think about grace in our own lives, only asking for grace in our own lives, but Lord, to begin to feel a burden for these precious brothers and sisters who sit here with us week by week. So Lord, to pray for your manifestations of grace in their life this week. Lord, I pray for myself and each of these precious brothers and sisters that you would put on our hearts this morning someone else in this room who we need to cry out to you for, for more grace in their lives. And God, I pray that our confidence would be not anything we can do, but God, in you, the one who spoke the world into being, hearing the prayers of your saints this morning here at Gateway and answering these prayers. So we thank you now for this powerful symbol, this tool of grace you've given to us. Be reminded of our salvation, to be reminded of, our, of your love for us, to be reminded of how awful our sin was and what it cost for us to have grace. So Lord, I pray this morning you would take this and use this, Lord, for your glory and for the building up of your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>